Welcome back. Uh, we're going to get started uh, on our sermon here. Uh, and again, I said this when we, when we came in. If you're new with us, uh, we, we are just a people who simply want to know, follow, and serve Jesus. Uh, you see a sign when you come in that says we're faith and fellowship create a family. And we hope to be that in the way that family is meant to be. Where we love each other, we're patient with each other, we forgive one another, we're not perfect, uh, but we love each other. Uh, and we do that because God has, has deeply loved us, perfectly loved us in his son. Uh, we believe in this gospel, which is a word for good news. Uh, and that good news is that, uh, that God sent his son to live a life we could not live and died a death that we deserve and then rose again from the dead so that we can have the life that he deserves. And so we found our hope and our life in him. We seek to know him more by looking at his word. And today we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians. It's a book in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 11 is where we'll mostly be. And we've been going through this book. Uh, and uh, many of you, hopefully, you know what the argument and the theme and what's happening here. Uh, but Paul wrote this book to a church in Corinth. It's a church he founded. Uh, it was a church that was struggling. It was a church that was living in a society that was anti the things of God. They had all sorts of gods, but they did not follow the things of the true God, the God of Israel. And this city was known for their debauchery, known for their wickedness, known for being just bad. Um, and God planted a church in that city through Paul, and uh, that church struggled. So Paul had written a couple letters. He had he'd founded it. They were, they were struggling. He wrote 1 Corinthians. And then he wrote another letter called his uh, severe letter to address some things that were happening, not because he was mad at them, but because he loved them. Uh, and he was hoping to call them back to a life that was beneficial for them, uh, a way of living that was not destructive to their own life in the cause of Christ. And in this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a letter written back to them to reconcile them together and to address uh, some false teachers that were in their midst who were leading them astray. And for the Corinthians, the believers, to get back to their sincere and simple devotion to the Lord. So we've seen this, there's a lot of beauty in this book. There's a lot of stuff that is for us. Uh, and at the climax of the book is this beautiful scripture in, in um, chapter 5, where it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This passage, like I said last week, and I'll say it again, we could just spend week after week sitting and meditating and reminding ourselves of the deep worth that God has placed on us through the immeasurable sacrifice of his son. And the amazing thing that he's done through that sacrifice and giving us what we do not deserve. The Christian life is not a life that is work, work, work to be accepted by God. It is a life where we realize that God accepts us not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. And Jesus purchased and paid for our entrance 
into relationship and fellowship with God. And so God, because of Christ, looks at us and he sees his son. His right, we own his righteousness as a possession. And it doesn't go away. We can't remove that. He, he gives it to us as a gift. It becomes our identity and we, then we live out of that identity. And as we're living through life, there are things that we're not doing that, are, or that we are doing that are inconsistent with the reality of who we are in Jesus. And it's the fellowship of believers. It's the exposing of truth that aligns our life back to who we are in Jesus. And a life that is beneficial for us, good for us, and a good for the world. Because those who receive Jesus want him known. And the purpose of us receiving him is that he would be known in the earth. So Paul, writing to these, uh, these Corinthians, last week we were in chapter 10 and we saw a few things. Uh, one, uh, that God's people are called to be more concerned with the reputation of the gospel than they are their own reputation. You see, Paul was not concerned with the bad reputation he had in Corinth, which he had uh, those, these false teachers were bad-mouthing Paul. Saying, this guy is not a legitimate apostle. You shouldn't listen to him. He doesn't have all, all the rhetoric and the, he's, he's a pretty poor speaker, actually. And he looks weak. Why would you listen to that guy? Paul, and Paul doesn't come back and address these people in order to save Paul's face. Paul addresses these people because he's concerned with what it's doing to the spreading of the gospel. So in the end of uh, chapter 10, uh, Paul, uh, Paul speaks. He says, we don't want to boast beyond the limits of our labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Right? Paul's desire was to help reform the Corinthian church so that the gospel can spread out. It's like, I don't really care what you guys think about me, but what you're doing is damaging the work that the Lord is doing in the world. In the beginning of this cha that chapter, he, he, he lays out uh, or open exposes where the real battle of life is. It's not with people. We're not fighting with people. The real battle is in the mind. It's, it's against deception. Uh, it's against the distortion of the truth. And it's, it's not people who are prideful and, and proud and, and, the, and the people who show themselves as as capable in the eyes of other people that are ones that we necessarily need to follow. It's actually through our humility that God uses his and works his strength. Like it's, it's the humble that God works through. So Paul, the beginning of that chapter 10, he says, I, 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 I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am humble and who am humble with you face to face um, he, he comes to them with meekness and gentleness and humility, contrasting himself with these so-called super apostles, where they literally name themselves super apostles, which is hilariously awesome. <laughs> He's, 
they're puffing themselves up. They're boasting about their abilities, their credentials, their position, what they're able to do. And Paul's trying to help the Corinthians. These guys are abusing you. They're taking advantage of you. Don't follow them. That's not the things of the world. And from there, he moves into chapter, t- to a, chapter 11, where he starts seeming like he's boasting about himself, doing what Paul probably shouldn't do. But as we're going to see, that boasting is, is a little bit of, of irony, a little bit of uh, holy sarcasm, um, and a desire not for uplifting Paul, but again, for advancing the gospel. Because Paul knew Satan's primary strategy for destroying God, the things of God and what God's doing. And so first, we're going to see that deception is the enemy's primary mode of attack. Deception is the enemy's primary mode of attack. So chapter 11, it says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his, Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not the least inferior to these super apostles. For even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrain from, so I refrain and will refrain from burdening you, burdening you in any way. As the truth, truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, Acacia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim that those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. See, deception is Satan's primary mode of attack. And it began in the garden. And he came, and, and Paul, Paul references this, uh, this story, this truth, this reality of what Satan did to Eve in the garden. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of this? He's just trying to withhold from you. Oh, come on. 
God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He doesn't know what he's doing. What's the name of that tree anyways? Knowledge of good and evil. You see, God wants to keep wisdom from you. God wants to keep something from you. God knows when you eat of it, you're going to be like him. You're not going to be under his rule or his thumb anymore. Go. See, you're not going to die if you eat it. And what happened? She ate it. Adam ate it. Sin entered into the world. Exactly what God said would happen, death entered into the world. Separation from our life source. Separation from God through deception. And Satan used that same tactic throughout all history. He takes truth, he twists it, and then he gives it to God's people to destroy them. And he's doing it, or is doing it to the Corinthians, and Paul is exposing it. And he's, he's doing everything that he can to, to help them to see that they're being led astray. <clears throat> and this is not just something that stopped in the first century. The, the, the church itself has been fighting with distortions of the truth. We have two religions out there who have foundations in the first century. There's, uh, we have one brother who was just rescued out of it, told his testimony. The Jehovah's Witness, they do not believe that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. They believe he's a created, created being, which is not true. And they use that distortion to enslave people to a religious system that provides nothing for them except ultimate death and destruction and control to the leaders who are there. Mormonism, same thing. They do not believe that Jesus is, is God. They do not believe one God, three persons, three persons, one God. They believe Jesus was a created being. They believe that they will become gods someday. And their leadership uses the false teachings. I mean, they'll come up and say, hey, yeah, we're Christian. We're, I mean, I met a ton of Mormons when I was living in Israel. We're Christian. We're, we're, we're the same. Well, I don't, I don't think we are. And their, and their leadership uses their power and influence to benefit themselves. And, and this is the consistent thing with false teachers. I take my position and my platform so that I can gain from someone else. And that's not what God's people are called to do, or God's shepherds, or God's leaders, or the stewards of the manifold mystery of who Jesus is are called to do. We're stewards. Don't be like the Greeks or the Romans who use their position to lord it over. You must not be like them. You are called to be a servant. The greatest one is the servant. 
And Paul is serving these people who are actively rejecting him. I mean, some of you had, had kids like that. You've gone through this. You have teenage, I don't have teenagers yet. I'll get there at some point. Just completely reject that you have a brain <laughs> and that you know what's going on in life. And they just battle, 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 battle. And there's at some point where you're just like, you know what? Fine. You go do you. Because it's frustrating when there's falsities being claimed at you. And Paul, very well, like he's, I mean, this is the first, these are letters, right? This is not FaceTime or text message. I mean, it's somewhat of a text battle, but that's a different, you know, we can make a different argument. Um, but he's in the other side of the world getting a letter from someone. And you know what he could do? Throw in the fire. I'm going to move on. Cut my losses. See you later. I'm done with this. I don't need this. I'm Paul the Apostle. I'm the Apostle to the Gentiles. Why do I need this headache and this, this, this hag? But no. He loved them. He sought to help them. He saw someone abusing them. I mean, even further in chapter 11, uh, I repeat, verse 16, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I might, may too boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say, not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Right, this is all sarcasm. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Guys, you were being taken advantage of. You've been swindled. You bought into that pyramid scheme. It's not a multi-level marketing. Paul wanted to reach these people because God's people are called to expose deception and reveal the truth. God's people are called to expose deception and reveal the truth. Now, let me caveat this because this gets taken way far in the wrong direction. This is to be done out of love, not out of my own kingdom that I'm building, my own reputation for knowing stuff, knowledge. Right? Paul even says, look, if, if Indeed, I consider that I'm not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Like, I have the knowledge, but I'm not trying to bash you over the head with my ability to understand deep, um, complicated scriptural truths. I just simply want to get you out of the danger that you're in. I want to get you out of the pain, that you're, the slavery that you're in. 
So I'm going to do whatever I can to help you not be led astray to your own demise. These people were abusing the Corinthians, and Paul did what he could to help them. In fact, Paul even did things that he did not want to do. Right? Uh, I repeat, verse 16, I'll read this again. Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. All right, fine. You want to be foolish? I don't want to do this, but I'll be a fool too. Let me boast a little bit. Let me act like a fool. Paul had to change what he wanted to do to reach the people that he loved. And sometimes love requires that. Sometimes love requires that we give up our preferences to rescue people, others out of deception. So why do I say that? Well, Paul, who is humble and wants to be humble, spends two chapters boasting about what the Lord has done in his life. Now, he boasts about what the Lord has done in his life, and then when he's boasting about himself, he calls himself a fool, which is pretty amazing because I don't know if you know this, but there's, at least for me, the most confusing verse, two verses in the Bible are in Proverbs 26. It's not up here. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Um, it says, uh, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Solomon, what are you talking about? Answer not a fool, answer a fool. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Paul unlocks that here. He's answering these fools according to their folly, not so that Paul could be uplifted in his reputation to the people, but that the people could see the deceit that they were following. You see that? He wanted them to understand. So he says, okay, great, I'll entertain. I will, I will jump in. I will boast. I will be a fool for you. I don't want to do this, and now a bunch of people, thousands of years from now, will be reading up my, my boasting about myself. It's kind of embarrassing to me, but I'm going to do it anyways because I love you. But whatever anyone else dares, I boast of. Am I speaking of a, I'm, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far great, greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near to death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. And this dude's back was wrecked. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, night and a day. I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardships that many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure and exposure. 
And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. So that the God and Father, the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Arteus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and escaped with hands. Talk about embarrassing things that I go through. Getting let down out of a basket. Not able to walk through triumphantly through the city. And these guys are boasting, and they're, they're doing what they're, they're normally supposed to do. Right? In the Roman world, there's this weird thing where they believe that honor was as limited as natural resources. Honor wasn't something that people just had because of their, their value in it. It, was, it had to be taken from someone. So we learn rhetoric, we learn arguments, we learn all this stuff so that we can, we can get the honor because that's what we need to get. And they did it through demeaning their opponents. Really strange, I know. There's nothing in our society that looks like that. The only way to get ahead is to knock down the other person. One commentator said, Greek hubris, pride, combines with Roman inmentia, enmity, to produce vicious smear attacks against rivals. Since there was only a limited amount of honor to go around, one resented and envied others for having it. Political enemies were targets of exaggerated character assassinations designed to make them symbols of shame and political subversion. One Greek philosopher from the first century said, and as such a man needs also a certain kind of body, since he's consumptive, comes forward, thin and pale, his testimony no longer carries the same weight. For he must not merely by exhibiting the qualities of his soul prove to the layman that it is possible without the help of the things which they admire to be a good and excellent man. He must also show by the state of his body that this plain and simple style of life in the open air does not injure even his body. Look, he says, both, my bo- both I and my body are witnesses to the truth of my contention. That this philosophy thinking that I had to show myself strong, knock down my opponents, take what is rightfully mine so that people would listen to me is what everyone followed. And Paul is disarming and dismantling the truth of that. You don't have to be strong to be effective in God's kingdom. You don't have to knock down your opponents to be effective in God's kingdom. You don't have to follow the way of pride and enmity and strife to knock down your opponents. In fact, what God values is faithfulness. What God values is trusting him when life is difficult. What God values is a person who does not consider their life their own, but simply wants to fulfill the ministry that God has given them. 
So look at me. They want, you want commendation? Here's my commendation. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in danger. I've been following the Lord through all of this stuff so that the gospel may go out. And I don't even boast in all that because I had nothing to do with it. The Lord has sustained me through it. The Lord called me. I was killing Christians before he came to me. And he rescued me. He put my feet upon a rock. He gave me a new song in my mouth. So I'll boast of my weakness because it's not about me. And I think we, we idolize these type of people. You know, the good old Western, the cowboy who's been through a lot more stuff than anyone ever know, who's gentle, but he can take care of things. Found out recently a uh, tragedy in my house. My wife had never seen the karate kid. <laughs> you have no idea where I'm going with this, do you? Somewhere, I promise. And I said, that's, that's crazy. How could you not see the karate kid? We've got to rectify this. So five nights in a row, we watched piece by piece. And a, she was introduced to Mr. Miyagi. Right? We all know Mr. Miyagi. This Miyagi. <laughs> this unassuming guy who was lethal. Just quietly cutting his bonsai plants and repairing things and trying to capture flies with his chopsticks. But when push comes to so shove, he handles and takes care of business because he's been through a lot. He's confident. He knows how to do what he needs to do. We value this and emulate this because this is a good thing. The humble person, the person who's not prideful or boastful, the person who's not walking out there like his opponent, I forget his name, somebody's going to correct me later, and, you know, show no mercy, show yourself powerful. No, it's the humble. That's what Paul wanted to be. And Paul, push came to shove, said, you know what? Whatever it takes, I love you. I want the best for you. I want to call you back to your sincere and pure devotion before the Lord. You think that all these things or these people or all, all, this, all these different ways in order to get God to be pleased with you or is going to help you? Stop. Just be sincere. Come back to the simple truth. God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God doesn't care about your accolades. God doesn't care about how well you speak. God just loves you. And he wants relationship with you. And he has forgiven you. He has taken care of all the sins that you've done, past, present, and future. Yes, the thing you were doing last night. Or what you did on the car coming over here. He's forgiven it. Even sleeping in church. I'm just, yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, God loves you. He's concerned for you. And I, we, we overcomplicate, I think, Christian life. We start with this joy of experiencing who Jesus is. Man, this God is awesome. 
I, I just love, I'm reading, the, reading his word. It's, it's great. I'm learning. I'm growing. And then we meet someone who's like, oh, great. You got to read this book too. And you got to read this book. Oh, you got to make sure you start fasting over here. You got to start praying this time of day. You got to get up at 530 in the morning if you really want to be spiritual. And you start carrying all this stuff. And you're like, this life sucks. And it's not because life with the Lord is terrible. It's because we're putting on burdens that we weren't meant to carry. And the things that were there for our help are now becoming a hindrance. And today, I don't know where you're at or what you're going through, but today, you can lay down those weights again. You just come back to the simple fact that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. God has forgiven your deepest and darkest secret. You don't have to hide. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be ashamed because he's taken it all for you. And no matter what you do, no matter how well you perform, you're still his child. He loves you because of what Jesus has done. And look, I've got kids. And every single one of them, do, they do things and get themselves stuck in situations that you just can't, how did that happen? Like head through the railing. Like, it won't come back out because it's too big to go in. How did it go in? <laughs> or like recently, my, my one-year-old, we had a trash can on the side of the stairs to go back up the stairs. Somehow she got through the gate, she's a little Houdini, and was standing there holding the trash can trying to carry it up, screaming because she doesn't know what to do. (laughs) And those are simple things that we laugh at, but the big things that we get stuck in are no more bigger than that simple thing is to God. And it just comes back to a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. God, you love me. I messed up. I haven't read my Bible in uh, 27 years. but I believe you died on the cross for me and that you do love me. And and today I'm coming back. And if I forget again, please remind me because I want to know your truth. Deception is what the enemy is, its primary mode of attack. The defense is the truth. This is the truth. And this is Reformation Sunday. This is the Sunday we remember Martin Luther Nailing or sticking or saying his 95 theses, whatever the real count is, I don't know. But simply coming back to all this stuff built around the Bible has gone way off track. People don't need to pay indulgences to receive forgiveness for themselves or their family members. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. So if all this is true, just a question to ask yourself, is my devotion sincere and pure? Am I coming to the Lord with childlike faith that he will show up in my weakness? Where I'm trying to manage and fix and do all the things around here 
missing out on the joy and the simplicity of his simple gospel? I don't know, that's a question you have to ask for yourself. Am I living for him or am I living for myself? Am I following him or am I following myself? Am I trusting him or am I trusting myself? The Christian life is extremely simple. It's very difficult. It's extremely simple. Trust Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you for Paul and his example and his desire to help the church in Corinth and how you took a desperate situation and you made it a benefit even to us now. Lord, remind us again of the joy of our salvation. Renew in us, Lord, passion for your name. We trust you, praise you, thank you. Your name, amen.